Welcome to the 40th edition of the Guna Podcast, recorded in December on a Monday evening between the 2-0 victory over Stoke City and the visit to Greece in the Champions League. Our sponsors are Vision Sports Publishing, who have published both Arsenal, the making of a modern super club, and the pocketbook of Arsenal, both of which would make for fantastic stocking fillers. Hint, hint. I'm your host with the most, Joe Broadfoot, and without further ado, it's time for our traditional panel introductions. First up, we've got Clapton's finest and our very own Mr. Reliable, it's David Uda. Hello, listeners. And after that, we've got to introduce our Highbury Spy. He's uh, joined us for a bottle of red, despite all the punishment his liver's going to take as a result. It's Mr. Steve Ashford. How do you do, listeners? And finally, but not least, we've got the editor of The Gooner. For 96 issues, you've been editor. And it's Kevin Witcher. Good evening, everybody. Right, the first thing we're going to talk about is the fallout from the Chelsea match and we don't want to say what the result was we all know that but was it a blip or was it a sign of something more fundamentally wrong what's your take on it Kevin uh, well I think it was chickens coming home to roost in a way in fact I think people actually expected the results certainly people were worried that we were going to get um, a bit embarrassed before the kickoff, and um, that's certainly what happened um, I think given the way the team started the season against Everton there was, and, and against Celtic away, there was optimism that we had a, a team of battlers and, and that's what really was missing in Chelsea game. And I think that's what you do need sometimes to continue collecting the points and uh, by all accounts we certainly didn't battle that much at Sunderland and we lost and... Um, I mean, I hope it's a blip. You know, you, you always hope these things are going to pass by, but I suspect we'll find out very soon because we've got Liverpool away and Burnley away, and those are games which are going to have to show quite a bit of commitment, certainly more than we did against Chelsea. And um, we might be able to turn the season back on course if we manage to get results in those two matches. But uh, at, since since the Chelsea game, we've we've had a win against Stoke. And the only conclusion I can make from that so far is that Stoke are pretty damn poor. So not a real test, especially as, as it was a home game. Um, it's a watch this space, but if you're asking for my gut instincts, I think it wasn't a blip. That is the way things are at the moment, and I think we'll see it more and more. Well, so you're saying there is something fundamentally wrong. What, what about you, David? How do you see it? <coughs> well... I had, a, I had a conversation with my brother the day after the game, and uh, he, he he said something to me which sort of gave me an epiphany almost, um, something that seems quite obvious, but I only sort of realised in the cold light of day the next day, and he sort of said to me, "What? why is it, you know, we can be brilliant against everybody in the league, but we come up against Chelsea and, and Man United, and we, for one reason or another, we, we don't win, and we, and we don't look good enough, and then I realised it's because however much we might want to think so we're not the best team in the country we're not we are the third best team in the country at best Chelsea I, I don't think we played that badly against Chelsea honestly I, 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 I think we lacked a bit of cutting edge up front but I mean you look at the three goals we conceded the first goal 
whichever way you look at it, was, was just a fantastic goal and showed us that the, the left-back who left us is better than the, the three current incumbents. But wasn't Senya having a bad day at the office? Um, no, I just think Ashley Cole's a better footballer than he is. And you could... And mm. if, and you could you could you could have the best day in the office you possibly can, but if someone's fundamentally better than you, they will get round you sooner or later. Um, I don't think Bakri Sun had, had a particularly bad game. I, I, the thing that upset me the most was um, there was no cutting edge. At no point did we get behind the Chelsea defence, and seeing um, Walcott and um, uh, and Co slinging in crosses to our five foot six inch centre forwards up against John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho in the hope that someone was going to, you know, magic a header up from somewhere was a shocking indictment that after the hour mark, the team had simply run out of ideas. Yeah, it did look that way to a lot of fans. What, what about you, Steve? Uh, you I, I, I just think the spine's wrong in the whole team. Uh, when you're comparing, these, comparing us to Manchester United and Chelsea, we haven't got a spine. I mean, they've got powerful centre-forwards in Rooney and Drogba, <clears throat> powerful midfield players... In Carrick and Scholes and Chelsea, you've got Essien and Lampard and um, uh, Obi Mikel. Um, we've got Song, Denilson. Song's mm. okay. <laughs> Denilson, he's yet to convince me. And the keeper, I don't think we're ever going to beat one of those top four sides in a match that matters until we get a decent keeper. You know, and, and it was blatantly obvious against Chelsea that the spine was terribly weak, especially without Van Persie. But wouldn't you say we were a little bit unlucky, to say the least, Kevin? I mean, bearing in mind that we had a goal disallowed that a lot of people would have would have not disallowed. I mean, quite honestly, me the personally, foot the, the foot was up. up. The foot was up, but he didn't make connection with the goalkeeper. He only made connection with the ball. That was Eduardo, I believe, and he, he put his foot up. Yeah, it was high. It was quite high, but. I thought it was a fair challenge. We should have been, one, the time. We should have been one nil down to a penalty and down to ten men after Sanya's foul. Yeah, that, that, is, a, that so is a fair swings, point. Swings yeah, it swings around about. Yeah, it swings around. Having lost four one to Chelsea last year, we've won all eleven home games since then. <clears throat> we lost two one to Chelsea in the FA Cup before that, and now we've lost three nil to Chelsea again. It just tells us that we're not good enough. And if we come up against Chelsea in the FA Cup or the Champions League or United in the FA Cup or the Champions League. The same thing is going to happen, and Wenger needs to get his checkbook out in in, in January. Certainly, <clears throat> if he can't get world class players, he needs to get he needs to get players that are going to do a job for the next three months. But you see, playing devil's advocate for a moment, I don't always do this, but Arsene Wenger he did say that we had the majority of possession, and statistics backed him up. He also Kevin. said that this would be the game in which his team would show they'd grown up, and that was the last thing that I saw on that pitch. And I think Wenger privately probably despaired at the performance of these players that he has built up um, yes <clears throat> if the goal had been given at 2-1 we'd have been a goal closer to Chelsea do I think that would have changed the final uh, result of the game from a defeat the answer is no um, I mean Chelsea held back in the second half because they were 2-0 up but did they still scored and had a couple of great chances even though they weren't even bothering to attack you know, if they'd actually gone two one, they might have gone for it. And we might have been whipped six one. Um, frankly, they were a level above us. I wasn't so worried about how well they played. I was worried about how poorly we played. And I think you can always pick out because every game has spells. You could argue that Wolves game is a bloody decent game for for fifteen minutes. You know, you can always pick out little bits of the game where we look the better team, and that was certainly the case for little little spells in the first half. 
but it's a 90 minute game we were basically overpowered um, a lot of people have said since that we've simply lost the physicality needed to win um, a league title um, and certainly there's no question that, that they are a smaller team than we were when we did last win the league title and I think that needs to be addressed and it's not a new thing to say that we need a brick shit house here or there because people were begging for that in the summer transfer window and it didn't arrive. I'll keep her the subject of a point of fantasy Gives directions so quietly No one knows where they ought to be At corners, disruption Chance after chance Paul Markin Can't close down Where is Manic as a river dance Don't give Don't give dead Don't give dead balls away Don't give Don't give dead Don't give dead balls away There's Gallus Vermont How small can center backs get Sometimes it's not so easy to be the boss's pet. Confusion, no illusion. Those high balls make them cry. They won't grow, they're too small. No matter how they try. Don't give, don't give dead, don't give dead balls away. I mean, Vermeulen is a very good central defender. However, both he and Gallus probably need to play alongside a John Terry type rather than with each other because aerially we're not that great and they are two under six foot guys. Well, maybe they need to play in high hills. I'm not too sure about well, that. I mean, there's a lot there's of flashy boots around. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we found, found out to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay Mullering Blackburn and Wigan for, you know, 4 1, 6 2, or whatever it was. When you come up against a powerful team like Chelsea, and there's going to be hundreds more, not hundreds more, there's going to be 16 more in the Champions League knockout stages. When we come up against these powerful teams, our small players suffer because of it. And Wenger really needs to get. You know, his checkbook out in the sum in January, and he really needs to sign a powerful midfield player and a powerful striker. But what's the chances of him doing that, David? Bearing in mind that he's ignored what what a lot of people have been saying. Ex Arsenal players have said you need a commanding centre back, so he signs for Marlon against the wishes of people like Tony Adams, who um, perhaps we're glad that he ignored because Vermaelen's Vermaelen's done a great job, but. Does he complement Gallus? Is, he, is, is that where the problem lies? Or do you think the problem, the problem? Well, I think the problem is with those two. I think Gallus and Vinland together as a pair yeah. are fine. I'm a bit worried about Sagna. I mean, you, you mentioned mm. earlier about the crosses coming in from Cole. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't think Sagna did have a good game against Chelsea, to be honest. Um, I, don't, I think Sagna, again, goes missing in the big games. If Sagna's okay against the smaller clubs, the big teams, I'm yet to be convinced by Sagna. I think, I think the way that the team lines up, um, the defenders do as best that they can. I mean, the, the team lines up to attack. Um, quick break, which is ironic, considering we have no pace in the side whatsoever unless Walcott's playing. Um, 
In fact, that's a topic we should come back to at a later date is what happened to Arsenal having any pace whatsoever. But we've um, got pace. We've got pace in defence, though, at least. I mean, on the, on the wings. Sanya's not slow. <coughs> and that's the most worrying, indi- most worrying indictment yeah. of our of our team. I think you could imagine, Joe, because mm. you know we're a team built around attacking, and I think. Bearing that in mind, I think the defence does as, as good a job it can. I mean, the reason why we haven't been found out um, prior to this is because we always had a Sol Campbell or, a, or Jens Lehmann at the back who, who wouldn't stand for any shit. And before mm. you get to them, you have to get through Gilberto Silva. Mm. Um, I mean, or Petit or Vieira. Uh, indeed. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Alex Song. I like Alex, Alex Song. Uh, my, my only complaint with him is he's under the, he's under the impression he's a footballer. He's not a footballer. Uh, by any stretch of imagination he's a destroyer but he's, he's getting like, better at coming no, no, forward as well, well yeah, no, but, 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 but this is the problem he thinks he's getting better than he is he, he, he should give the ball to a footballer and then sit mm. and if one of the full backs goes bombing on he fills in if one of the centre forwards goes uh, centre backs goes bombing on as Vermaelen likes to do he fills in this is this is why Gilberto was so good as a silent assassin in terms of go back to the question you asked me with regards to what's the manager going to do in January um, I think as soon as he figures out what he's going to do in January the rest of us might get an inkling I think he wants to sign a centre forward I think it's quite clear the centre forward he wants to sign is Marouane Chamac from Bordeaux but if, well, if I was Chamac I wouldn't leave right now um, and I don't think Bordeaux stand to gain anything by selling their best player when they're in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. So you think so the chances are we'll we'll wait until the summer and then we'll see him on it? Well, if the rumours are to be believed today, um, the, the first thing I hear this uh, this morning is Arsene Wenger saying, uh, I, um, I can only bring in players if they're world-class because they would be the only players better than what I've currently got. And in the afternoon, I hear the managers preparing a bid for Carlton Cole. If, if, if Do you think that's <laughs> actually true, though? I mean, it was if in the Daily Mirror, decide, if I'm not mistaken. If you Carlton Cole, then, you know, it beggars belief. I mean, not only is he the most injury-prone player in, in the Premiership, fit even more than Ziki. <laughs> Um, he's still a young kid. We don't want more young kids. No, I, it, it's well, not that young now. Actually, <laughs> and I checked his age. Yeah, it's mid twenties. It's an odd thing. It's a six minimum. It's an odd thing for our global scouting network, which apparently is second only to uh, Valencia and the staff who work on Football Manager, the computer game. Um, it's odd that we haven't been able to. No, that's a true story. That's a true story. We have the third biggest scouting network in the football industry, if you include computer game companies. Um, it's odd how we haven't been able to find a six foot four inch centre half who yeah. can play football to a degree. Um, a well, we did find a midfielder in the summer. Apparently, Wenger was interested in Lorik Sano until he found out that someone else was, and Wenger mm-hmm. not liking confrontation, let Sunderland have him. It was interesting how he then rode our midfield like sea biscuit for ninety minutes at the Stadium of Light the other week. Um, I mean, I really like the player, and if you go back to uh, podcast twenty two or twenty four, he was a player or highlight. Highlighted as my dream. Um, uh, he would have been the best in that position we do need a centre forward as Eduardo and Carlos Vela are flattering only to deceive and it's quite worrying and disturbing the manager has sought to extend both their contracts by four years in the last few weeks taking signing on fees and additional salaries into account there that's probably £10 million he's, um, he's spent there without spending anything it's interesting how Arsene Wenger spends a lot of money without accumulating new players so Shemak, you've seen Shemak in action, have you? Uh, uh, only on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, 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 it's quite hard to judge on YouTube unless you're Dennis Wallace. Well, yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's I, I, he's, he's chosen to extend Eduardo's contract because he's actually been fit for a year now. Mm. If, if you remember, he came back in the FA Cup third round last year. Card, scored that wonder goal against Burnley mm. in the FA Cup. Oh, Burnley, yeah. um, and since then, and that was, bear in mind, that was 52 weeks ago. He's played a handful of games since then. Is he ever going to be fit? And if he's not going to be fit, why give him a four-year contract? 
Well, I'd have to say no. Kevin, how do you feel about Eduardo? Was it a wise decision to give him a, a new contract? Well, I think he is fit. Um, but whether or not uh, he's... Is he going to be fit enough, though? Well, exactly. He obviously doesn't... lacks the sharpness he had uh, before he had his leg broken. Well, I mean, given recent displays, no, it's madness to give him a four-year contract because he's, at the moment he's not good enough. Now, maybe Wenger thinks he will get back to the level he was at when he was a pretty decent... Attacker. I suppose in fairness to Eduardo, he's always played better with a tall centre centre forward yeah, alongside. The formation he was best him. when he was playing alongside Adibayor mm. in 2007, 2008, before he broke his leg. And Bentner. And Bentner. And Bentner. And so since back. he's been back, he's not really played alongside a tall centre half. And he's been so played out of position quite frequently on the yeah. more or less what I would call the left wing. Even though Wenger says it's four three three, to me it's four five one because those mm. those two players in wide positions have to play so far back. Yeah. I'd count them as midfielders. Yeah, really. well, right. that's, that's interesting right. what happened on Saturday against Stoke because the one player who doesn't seem to do a great deal of work on the flanks in terms of defence is Arshavin. And uh, the way to solve that seemed to be to put him at centre forward and put different players wide. And uh, I think that was partly a reaction to, for God's sake, let's try and stop all these attacks coming down the flanks which are leading to goals or leading to free kicks which don't lead to goals or corners blah 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 but um, and funny enough we did keep a clean sheet now that might be because it was Stoke we were playing it might be because Archibald wasn't I'm being asked to do any defensive work whatsoever um, but he looked pretty lively yeah, yeah. he I was lively as a centre yeah, yeah. forward far more so than what he's been playing out wherever he plays he seems to be playing out of position I mean, David, where would you where would you play Arshavin? I mean, based on what we've uh, seen. Personally, in the now camp, just behind Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I think he'd be wonderful in Barcelona's team. <laughs> um, no, we, we, we can't fit him in our full. But there's, yeah. The only way you could fit him in is if you play 4-4-2 and you play him as a bird camp. Um, mm. But we haven't got the players to accommodate a 4-4-2 formation right yeah. now. Um, and it's arguable whether we have a, a number nine who, who Arshavin can drop off of. Drop mm. off of. Mm. You can play him with Eduardo if you want, but then you've got two midgets up front, and mm. it's not ideal, is it? No, not really. I mean, as we as we saw against Chelsea and against Stoke, when the team gets desperate and devoid of ideas, they knock in high balls from the wings. And I mean, they were doing it again on Saturday. You just see Arshavin standing there, watching the ball going a foot and a half above his his head, uh, flailing his arms out to his sides, and say, "Well, how the fucking hell am I supposed to get that?" And I don't blame the guy. He's far more intelligent and far better than the players around him. And him and Cesc Fabregas deserve more than that. Fabregas, gas, gas, he's a new ingredient. Fabregas, gas, gas, good as me Number four on his shirt leaves opponents in the dirt. He's not big, but he's hard, and he shits a Frank Lampard. Fabregas, gas, gas, he's a new Liam Brady. Fabregas, gas, gas, good as Michel Platini. Number four on his shirt leaves opponents in the dirt. He's not big, but he's hard, and he shits on Frank Lampard. Have you been reading the Miles Palmer, Arsenal News Review website? I've got no time for Miles Palmer at all. Presumably <laughs> uh, this is what he's saying. Miles Palmer, every day he writes a blog about Arshavin, how he's the best player in the world, how Wenger doesn't realise how good he is, how he should give him a new contract, <coughs> <coughs> how, how basically Arshavin is just 
totally underused at Arsenal and he blames Wenger totally for that he's, he's two steps ahead of the rest of the players you can see the amount of mm. the amount of times moves break down because he's, he's played the perfect ball but um, they can't read it exactly because they're not on his exactly. way I, I think he's, he's just mm. better than a lot of the players around him and Fabregas is the same uh, I mean notwithstanding the game against Stoke on, on Saturday when uh, well, it's the worst game I've seen Fabregas having an Arsenal shirt uh, but I mean the amount of times I've seen him play the perfect ball and a buoy ends up right, running down a blind channel because he's our reserve right back and yet for some reason is playing as our right-sided centre forward. Um, and I, I feel sorry for players like Fabregas and Arsenal. And, and that's the thing, if they were to, to up and leave in the summer, I don't think many Arsenal, I don't think any Arsenal fans would have any resentment against them. And we haven't even mentioned the Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's your favourite subject. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Don't go on to the Nielsen. So, um, so what areas would you strengthen come come January? Given given that, I mean, Steve's obviously stated that you didn't really like Denilson too much, but then basically goalkeeper, centre half, central midfield, yeah. centre forward, easy as that. Steve's yeah. right. Yeah. We've got yeah. Yeah. We've got and what's spine. the chances Wenger's going to spend enough money to to, um, to you know to fill those positions? Well, he could, he could afford two of those now. I mean, the Manchester City money is now available to spend. Um, What's taken so long? Well, well basically they had to hold instalments. No, no, they had to hold that lump sum back in case they had problems with Highbury Square property mm. development because they had a huge loan to repay and they didn't know that they'd sell enough flats to do it. But they they struck a deal to sell about a hundred odd flats to this Stamford property or something Stamford they got a lot of money and, and they've reduced the debt from a 120 million to 40 million which is manageable and apparently the flats are now selling because simply they've been allowed uh, Arsenal have been allowed to drop the price because as long as they were in a contract with a previous concern who were going to buy these hundred odd flats prices had to stay what they were marketed as originally so the, the flats took a huge plunge in price and now they're selling them. So, good news on the property front. It's no longer a millstone round our neck. But that only happened in October. So, missed the last transfer window. This January is the first time Wenger will genuinely have serious funds since about 2001. So, he's got the opportunity to buy 30 millions worth of players. Um, Okay. He needs to buy. Sorry to interrupt. If you were a betting man, yeah. would you hedge your bets on Wenger buying players in January or keeping the money back and buying them in the summer? I think he will be forced to buy one star striker in January because it's the bums on seats factor. It's the reason that he got Arshavin a, a year ago. The renewals are coming up. For Save down season, Arshavin. Well, and is yeah. he going to leave it till the 31st of uh, January well, like he, he did will, last time? Well, he will month. attempt to bargain hard. Um, there's no question about that. What he can't risk is bargaining so hard that the other club says no. Um, and bearing in mind, you, you miss... If you don't bring the player in, obviously, early in January, you, you're missing mm. three or four games at least. January the 31st? Because there's quite a few games. You've only got February, March mistake. and April, three months. Mm. I mean, I think we've got, what, six six games in January mm. probably excluding the FA Cup um, that's six games that could make or break our season yeah. we signed someone on January the 1st mm. and for the sake of saving a million pounds I yeah. mean how do you, yeah. how do you think um, he's going to play it David 
I mean, do you, do you see him hanging on to the 31st of January and doing a, a deadline deadline day deal that's that's really got favourable terms for the club financially, and then we miss out on not having that player in a bit earlier than he could have arrived? Oh, as we did with well, what a great question! What a great question! Um, Wenger's a lot of things. He's not stupid, but one of his one of his defining faults is that he's the proudest man imaginable. And if every newspaper and every fan and everybody is telling him to do one thing, his pride will inevitably stop him from doing it. Um, it's clear that we need to spend. He, as soon as the Van Persie injury was confirmed, he intimated that he needed a new centre forward. Give it a week later, and we've failed to score in um, th- uh, what three mm-hmm. out of four um, uh, three out of four games. Uh, and you know the need for a striker becomes more and more obvious. Uh, Vegas said, no, I'm going to wait and see if people come back fit. I said, oh, well, are they going to come back fit and better? No. No, they're going to be the same players that they were before. And, um, you know, whilst, it, whilst we're all revelling and marvelling in the fact that we had goals coming from left, right and centre, I find something quite worrying about the fact that, you know, your centre-forward isn't your leading goal scorer by ten clear goals. Um, I don't think necessarily shows an over-reliance, just that, you know, you, you, you have a very, very good centre-forward. United have it with, we've had it with Van Nistelrooy. Uh, we had it with Henri. Um, so, you know, it, the, the bottom line, the thing that Benga needs to get his head around is that the best available non-Champions League cup-tied centre-forward in Europe who's available for a decent price at the moment is David Villa. Mm-hmm. Valencia are hugely in debt and there is a severe risk that the club will go out of business at the end of the season. Villa is not um, cup-tied. For the and he's good friends with Fabregas as well. He's good friends with Fabregas um, and he will be available. However... It will cost. It will still cost about fifteen to twenty million pounds, and so on. Just rest, well, well, no, because Valencia are so desperate to sell, yeah. you'll get a relative bargain. Well, there be competition. And, and how many other buyers are well, there? there? Well, yeah, there might be competition. This Manchester you, City. This is why you get. The, this is why you get the deal done now. Um, mm. And someone needs to take Wenger to one side and say, look, the reason why he costs twenty million pounds is because the best players in the world in their position cost twenty million pounds, which is why you got twenty six million pounds for Emmanuel Adebayor. Mm. which is why Liverpool paid £26 million for Fernando Torres, because that's how much the very, very good players cost. Arshavin, who I love to bits, for speak, who speaks his mind and speaks so eloquently and wonderfully in every interview he does, in an interview with L'Equipe last week, uh, mentioned, it's all well and good Arsenal trying to buy all the cheap, young, good players, but we've got them all now. The only thing that's left to buy is quality that is mature, and that costs more, because that's common sense. If the money is there and Wenger doesn't spend it, he's a fool. And at the end of the day, if we end up spending, say, £25 million on Villa, go on and win the Champions League... He's paid for himself. And he scores the winning goal he's in the quarter-final, yeah. semi-final, and we knock Man United out on the way, and he scores the winning goal at Old Trafford. That's worth every penny of £20 million, just to read the papers the following morning. Do you think that's a blind spot that Wenger's got, Steve? Oh, that, yeah, definitely. That definitely. He's, just looking, he's just looking at it and... He's got this black he's got and white this. almost saying, you know, he's going to cost this amount, and I've I've got to pay this. He's, I'm treating this like my money, yeah. and I don't really want to spend it. And he's not thinking That's about he's not thinking about what money it could bring into the club. He, he actually as a result of you know, if it's a good signing, it's worth a lot. Bums on seats, yeah, as somebody yeah. mentioned earlier. Well, look, 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 what what has done for us? I mm. mean, I don't know. It, it, I mean, it, it ranges from twelve million to fifteen million to sixteen million. How much we paid for it, but. Whatever we paid for him, it was money well spent. If we, if we go on and do the same this January, and we sign another world-class player, David Villa, hopefully it'd be great if we did, um, the knock-on effect of that would just be awesome. 
But Wenger, he's so stubborn. I mean, he'll see that as him having to admit a mistake in as much as his wonderful youth policy has had to rely on him spending £30 million on a ready-made player. And, and talking of mistakes, do you think it would be a mistake, Kevin, if we bought Carlton Cole, who's been mentioned in dispatches as a, as a possibility? I think it was a Daily Mirror said £17 million or some ridiculous figure for an injury-prone striker. Well, I'll be frank, I haven't seen him play that often because I don't tend to watch West Ham matches, but is he actually much better than Nicholas Bentner? I'd say not, personally. No, no, I'd say not as well, yeah. Well, yeah. So we would agree. Pointless exercise. Yeah, Bentner's not a bad player. I don't dislike Bentner. I think he's fine. I said so it before, before this podcast, I'll say it again. Nicholas Bentner will be a world player of the year before the age of 30. But the problem we've got is he's injured, and as is Colton Cole a lot of the time, and we've got well, injury problems at the club. And what do you put that down to? We, we could actually use spend some of our money on sending our medical team to medical schools some of them appear to have collected their qualifications by getting these special tokens on the backs of Kellogg's Rice Krispies <laughs> I refuse to believe that bad luck in itself is the key reason for our, our continued injury proneness isn't it our, our attack in play though perhaps that we, we sustain more injuries because we play this possession football and if you're in possession of the ball you're far more likely to get clattered than if you don't have possession of the ball if you play that percentage game like some teams do, there is that. Actually, yeah. if you look at a lot, that's of an injuries, aspect. I'm not saying that's everything about it, but Benton's injury report. You Benton pulled up against Spurs. In fact, there's one thing about Benton. When he was talking in the press last week, making excuses for our form, he said Diaby got injured playing for France and Benton got injured playing for Denmark. When in fact Diaby got injured at Wolves mm-hmm. and Benton got injured playing against Spurs. So I mean, he, he's even deluded himself about where the players get injured. In order just to back up his stubborn argument, but um, but but no, I mean Bentner's a good player. He's a, he's a fine player, but you know he, he's not good enough, I don't think, to lead Arsenal's attack for 50 games a season. Do you think our medicals are stringent enough when we sign players, Kevin? I do. I mean, we have a reputation of being very stringent, which is the irony because apparently there are players such as Jonathan Woodgate who we we basically on the edge of signing, and then there's just some kind of Reservation because of the medical, and we don't sign them. Um, I, I mean, Wenger himself has suggested in his quote recently that there's got to be something behind this, and you wonder if it's maybe something stupid like their dietary regime. Maybe they're not getting enough calcium or something like that. You know, it could be something ridiculous, but something to do with pre-season training, maybe. Maybe. I mean, there, there's something not right because. Basically, it hasn't seemed to have changed in recent years that this crop of players are um, a lot more injury-prone than the Arsenal players were in the past. Um, and it's, it's just, it must be either the, the regime they operate under, the preparation for matches, or, I mean, can you blame incompetence of the medical staff? I mean, the... The medical staff aren't out there getting the players injured. It's they're getting injured in games. So I'm inclined to think there's, there's just something in their diet or, or the way they are prepared for matches which means they're not tough enough. Well, to go back to what Joe said, do we get injured because we're in possession a lot? And I must admit, I I've noticed a lot. I don't every, every time an Arsenal player goes in for a tackle, if they get up again and carry on walking, you know, I think, oh, thank God for that. 
Is it the a loss lot, of our physio perhaps? A maybe? lot of it is. We lost our physio to England, didn't we? Uh, this was happening, back, this yeah. is happening then as well. I mean, for yeah. How long has Van Persie been out? Yeah. Um, I mean, years and years and years, basically. You know, and he's not alone. Tackle, Theo Walcott, for God's sake. And sometimes you've got to gamble on players, haven't you? I mean, when they're young, you don't know if they're going to be um, injury prone or not. You, mm. you can take a guess on it, but you don't really know when they're 26. Well, if you look, I mean... Like, it's never, what age can you make it's, of that decision? It's never, our, it's never our season grown-up, the few that we do bring in from other clubs who are consistently injured. I can't remember Gallus having a, long, a, a particularly long-term injury since he's been at the club. Um, Al Nunia, unfortunately, has never had a long-term injury whilst he's been at the club. Uh, not apart from the made-up ones. No, well, yeah, <laughs> apart from the made-up so ones. So no, no, but, but you look, I mean, it's, I mean, Danielson gets a stress fracture of his back. My uncle got a stress fracture of his back because he's a 61-year-old cabbie. Mm. Every 20-year-old kid, you don't get a stress fracture of the back. It's a freakish injury to get. So it must be because we take them when they're so young. Our fitness and conditioning training during, essentially, their, uh, their pubescent, their formative and their adolescent years is not good enough, doesn't turn them into proper men, and as a result, they break more, break more easily than other people. Do you think we're overplaying some of our younger players then? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Mm. If you populate your squad with kids, you're going to have mm. 19-year-olds playing 60 games. And it's not like it was 25, 30 years ago when the game was played at half the pace it is now. It, it, every game is um, it's like an NBA basketball game it's non-stop for 90 minutes I mean these guys are ridiculously fit um, and their bodies just can't take it this is why the squad has become so prevalent in the modern game but our squad is not the 26 players that the manager thinks it is look, oh. at, look at Michael Owen it's interesting what's happened to him you know I thought oh here's a, here's a lad who's going to break the England goal scoring record maybe even get the record amount of caps and yet Probably because he played so many games in his late teens, early twenties, he's more or less a crock now, as far as I understand. Um, I mean, is he injured at the moment for Man United? Uh, I don't think so. But he's never far away from him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, basically, you've got to handle him with kick gloves now. Um, so there probably is something in that. You know, um, I suppose there are tremendous physical pressures placed upon these these players. Because, I mean, you know, at times it doesn't look like it to us, but I guess they are working hard. On talking of pressures, what about Arsene Wenger? Do you think he's responded very well to the pressure that's been on him lately, in as much as he didn't shake Mark Hughes' hand after the uh, defeat in the Carling Cup? I watched that game. Yeah, but do you think that was a dignified response from an Arsenal manager? I mean, after all, this club has based itself on dignity. Yeah, but, right, I think it's but there are limits. Mark Hughes is a complete and utter arsehole. <laughs> he was an arsehole when he was a player, and he's an arsehole as a manager. Yeah, but he was a very good player. Very good player. But all through the match last Wednesday, he was throwing his arms up, he was contesting every decision. I mean, he was trying to influence the referee. At one stage, he called Arsene Wenger a fucking wanker. And that's a fact. Oh, did you see him? Yeah, yeah, that, to yeah. his face. Oh, okay. He, he, in Arsene Wenger's dugout, he came yeah. over to retrieve a ball, and he went, You're a fucking wanker. Everyone could see that. Yeah. Wenger was. You know, totally non- you know, shocked by that. And at the end of the day, he just thought, right, I'll get you, mate. I won't shake your hand at the end of the game. I think that's fair enough. You know, I would, I, I would have given Hughes the satisfaction. You know, I would have given him a token one-second handshake. You know, and meaningless, completely meaningless. Because what's happened is that he's given Hughes a kind of moral victory by storming off. And it's better just to give a completely insincere quick you know grasp the hand and you know yeah, don't let them know that you know, he does that at the best of times doesn't he when did you ever see Arsene Wenger well, shake someone's hand yeah. hug someone but and say what a great no one but there's no comeback uh-huh. to Wenger when he's done that 
How would you, you know. how would you have handled it, David? Uh, exactly the way that um, exactly the way that Kevin has. Um, uh, uh, Kevin suggested. Uh, I mean, I, I, I with hindsight, thankfully had a, had a work dinner to go to last Wednesday and um, had my BlackBerry and my phone turned off. I uh, didn't want to know the result. I'd Sky Plus it and. So I got to half past nine, we waited for dessert, and one of the guys I worked with said, Dave, do you want to know the result? And he said, no, Sky Plus, and he went, it's probably best if I tell you. And I said, how bad was it? And mm. held up three fingers, and I said, cheers, you've saved me two hours when I get in. Can I have a double whiskey, please? Uh, and then on the way home, I phoned my brother and said, how bad was it? He said, well, Wenger, Wenger ran off without shaking Hughes' hand at the end, uh, end of the game. You know, I don't care what's gone on in between, you know. Don't give the papers any more ammunition to fire at you. I mean, he just comes across as a spoiled, insolent child in, in situations like that. It was the same with the uh, uh, with the Alan Pardew incident a few years ago. I'm certain there's another manager who's done it too as well. Um, but do you think it takes the pressure off the players somewhat in that the manager's getting all the attention? Do you think he possibly... Well, it was only, yeah, it was only the Carling Cup team. I mean, in all fairness, hmm. when I saw the lineups. You Everybody know. was saying it's a oh, defeat well, thought, before well, it even kicked off. How did I get down to the goddamn bookmakers and put some money on a home win? Because frankly, there was never a cat in hell's chance Arsenal were going to win that game. If it had been at home, they might have had more of a chance. But in all fairness, I mean, we thought Arsenal v Chelsea was men against boys. Um, it was a bit like that against City. Irony being. The, the team was actually sprinkled with quite a few pros and, and, and they tended to be the ones that were at fault maybe because they weren't switched on totally but Rizitsky, um I thought Son had a bad game last week yeah, played out of position mm. yeah and Sylvester the funny thing is I didn't actually think Song was that bad I yeah. had to disagree with everyone well, but he didn't get I didn't many tackles in considering, yeah. considering maybe I'm giving him too much allowance for the fact that he was out of position yeah. but I thought that wasn't, wasn't the song awful even, even I've seen him play better at yeah. centre back in other games I don't think he was attacking the ball enough he wasn't determined enough he was going through the motions and I reckon the reason he played was so he could get booked so he could miss the Stoke game rather than the, the Liverpool game probably so he played against that. Stoke got booked he'd have missed Liverpool and we can't afford to go to Anfield without Song I think there's probably some truth in what Steve says in fairness but uh, I mean Again, I think the manager's hugely disappointed, but I think at the end of the day, he, he overrates these players. They aren't as good as they think he is, not now anyway. I mean, after the Liverpool Carling Cup game, it was, it was chat of how wonderful and uh, how, how Fran Marida is the player we have to keep in Atletico Madrid, who, lest we forget, are two from bottom of the Spanish uh, Primera Liga, are sniffing around after him. Barcelona and Real Madrid aren't sniffing around after him. It, it, these 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 kids aren't good enough yet. They might turn out to be wonderful footballers, but not they're yet. not there. No, do they're you, not do you there think, right do you now. Think Wenger should be giving Marida more time on the pitch. No, he's not better than the other players we've got in that position. I'd say Ramsey's better than oh, Marida yeah, from what I've seen. Yeah. The thing is, Marida is what, what's his position? I mean, is he is he another one of our? Five foot six inch inside forward clones, or is well, he somebody did say he's, I mean, Arsene Wenger, somebody said he's just signing a bunch of sesks. Well, he has got a bit of power, and that's quite difficult to say. He oh, he's a bit fat, I'll give you that. Yeah. He's taller than five foot six. Why is he with fat Spaniards? Vela, Eduardo, Marida, they're all well, a bit tubby. He's not one of the Speaking Spanish, he's not that one of the makes you a Spaniard. He's a little bit more powerful, Marida. And I, and I actually, I would actually think that Wenger should be giving Marida more time on the pitch, really, when he consider the players. That well, talking time. of time, we mentioned time, and we yeah. <laughs> this has been quite a long podcast. So I think at this point we better end it. So thanks to all you guys. We're going to be 
talking again in a few moments on a different podcast. But the usual reminder is, if you want to email us about anything related to the podcast, the address is gunapodcast at gmail.com. And thanks again to our sponsors, Vision Sports Publishing. And before we finish, just a plug for the next issue of the Guna. Kevin. Yes, just to relay um, that it will be delayed slightly because uh, of this inclement weather we've been having. Uh, we need to sell a few more of the current issue, which is the 200th one. It's an 80-page special uh, with a 32-page pullout in the middle about the history of the Guna. And that will still be on sale against Hull before Christmas. Issue 201 with the free calendar will go on sale at the Villa game on the Sunday after Christmas. And uh, they're still £2. All right. We've got time for a quick farewell from the panel. David? Thank you all. See you next time. Steve? Cheers. Good night. Kevin? Fare thee well. And this is your host, Joe Broadfoot. Thanks for listening. La-di-da-di-da, la-di-da-di-dee, all good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey!